Jesus plus nothing. 100% natural, no additives. Andrew Farley is celebrating your freedom in Christ. Call in and ask your questions at 877-956-9566. That's toll free at 877-956-9566. Via satellite from Texas, it's The Grace Message with Dr. Andrew Farley. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Grace Message. I'm Andrew Farley. So glad you're joining us this Sunday afternoon. We've got lines open, room for you to jump in right now, 877-956-9566. Maybe you've got a question today about a scripture passage. Maybe you heard something in church uh, this morning and you're not sure about it. You want to talk it over? Let's make it a conversation together right now, 877-956-9566. And if you're a first-time caller today, you got to know we love it. We love to hear from our first-time callers. We'd love to hear from you. If you're a veteran listener, maybe you've joined us in the past for some conversation but you've got something new on your mind, join us. Maybe it's been a week, it's been a month, you haven't called in a while, join us right now, 877-956-9566. And uh, maybe it's a personal issue going on in your life right now, in your marriage, with your kids, in your church. You're looking for that grace message perspective. That is exactly why we're here this Sunday afternoon for you. Again, open lines, great time for you to join in. Lots of room right now, 877-956-9566. All right, we're going to start out in Maryland, and we're going to talk with Joe. Hey, Joe, what do you got for us today? Well, I'm the first call this time, Dr. There you uh, go, yeah. Pastor <laughs> let's see, uh, I was grabbing as soon as I could. Uh <clears throat> I have about three things. Do family members think of us left on earth, but they can't be sad because there's no sadness in heaven? Mm-hmm. And right. And then uh, does an ex-wife accept an ex-husband once I'm up there and she can't be uh, angry and because there's no anger in heaven and all that kind of thing? So okay. okay. With that. That has to be erased then. There there would be all acceptance, right, of anybody like they feuded with on the earth and then they, they're in heaven, you know, later on. And right. Okay. And the other one is our uh, loved ones in spirit in full form after she was cremated or buried. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So first of all, obviously you got three questions relating to um, – uh, heaven and uh, so f- as far as uh, you know this idea of being in heaven and there being family feuds it's not going to happen in heaven uh, you're going to experience and know fully what it means to forgive another person uh, you're not going to have any tears no sadness no sorrow in heaven uh, so as far as remembering people on earth and going oh my goodness they're going through so much uh, and it's ripping me apart. No, you're not going to feel that. You're not going to have stress, anxiety, fear. Uh, you're not going to have regret, remorse, you, tears, you, none of that. Uh, so heaven is a place where we're celebrating Jesus and we know who we are in Christ fully for the first time. 
and we know how good God is, and we have his perspective on the things of planet Earth. So do not worry. Heaven is everything that we can expect it to be, and in fact, be it's above and beyond what we imagine. So no regret, no remorse, no tears, no sorrow in heaven as far as uh, family feuds and disputes with the ex-wife and all of that. No, you're going to be looking at her very differently in heaven. Uh, you're not going to have any issues between you because everything is going to pale in comparison to what you're experiencing in Christ. So you're just going to have, I, I can't explain it any other way except that you're going to have a heavenly mindset and you're going to have a heavenly perspective on everything. So as far as uh, you know, your body, well, if your body is cremated, that takes about seven minutes in an oven. Uh, if your body decays in a coffin, that takes about seven years in a wood box. It doesn't matter. Seven minutes or seven years. Uh, either way, you get a new resurrection body in heaven. So the fact that a person was cremated or buried is irrelevant. Uh, it makes no difference when you get a total replacement, a new resurrection body anyway. So that's what Paul is talking about. You know, we see this in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the resurrection body, the spiritual body, and the natural body. And he's contrasting those in the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, so there's a lot to celebrate. He says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he determines. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another and the stars another. And even the stars differ from star to star in splendor. So Paul's point is everybody gets a new spiritual body in heaven, and each body will be unique. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So I hope that helps, my friend. Uh, reach out to us again anytime. Uh, great to hear from you. All right, well, let's go now to Virginia, and we're going to talk with Don. Hey, Don, what have you got for us today? I have two questions. Uh, the first one is I hear many, many perspectives on um, uh, from different churches, and, and I've attended Episcopal churches and Catholic churches, and I've attended Protestant churches, and I hear that from from most that angels don't have bodies and yet in the in hebrews there's a passage that says something 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 uh uh least ye be entertaining angels yeah so that's my first question and so the, the angels because he's so that's my question yeah 
Yeah, okay. Well, that sounds good. Uh, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, uh, we know for a fact that angels can appear in human form. They can appear visible. They can appear in human form. Uh, you see the angels at the tomb. Think about Jesus' resurrection. We've got Easter coming up, and you remember the story, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, you've got uh, the women that show up at the tomb. You've got uh, Mary, who uh, clearly is having a conversation with angels, and you've got angels uh, guarding the tomb. You've got angels talking about where Jesus is now that he's been raised from the dead. Uh, you've got them appearing uh, to the shepherds. Angels appear uh, to the shepherds by night. Uh, we've got angels appearing all over the place in the Bible. So, uh, yes, angels are spirit beings. I mean, you see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So, angels are ministering spirits. But in context, you know, passage after passage shows us that they can appear in human form. So you look at Genesis 18, God and two angels appeared as men and actually ate a meal with Abraham. Uh, angels appear in human form many times. You look at Joshua 5 and Mark 16, uh, they, they never seem to appear in the likeness of women, but they appear in the likeness of men. Uh, sometimes they don't appear as humans or as men, but sometimes they show up and uh, people are scared of them. And they, the angels have to say, don't be afraid of me. <laughs> so you look at the keepers of Jesus's tomb, as I mentioned, you know, you can find that in Matthew 28. You find the, cha uh, the, the shepherds in the second chapter of Luke. Uh, we could go on and on, but uh, even in the Old Testament, you go back to Exodus and Isaiah and Ezekiel, and you're going to see some pretty outlandish pictures of angels with a number of wings, and they certainly don't look human. So angels have the ability to appear as human in human form, but they are not human and they are ministering spirits by nature as God designed them to be. So I hope that helps, my friend. Don, great question. Reach out to us again anytime. Let's go to Chicago, Illinois, and we'll talk with William. Hey, William. Hey, Andrew. Uh, first, I just want to say I really appreciate you, man. You really, your ministry really helps me. Awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah, the question is, what is our role and the Holy Spirit's role in renewing our minds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So we, we've got an interesting dilemma here because basically you're asking, what's my role and what's God's role? And the goal is the renewing of the mind. So, you know, should I be reading 12 verses a day? Is that my responsibility? Should I go to church every time the doors are open? Should I, uh, you know, should I be memorizing Scripture and reciting it in the car? You know, what is it that renews my mind? And really, you know, it's a bit of a mystery because, first of all, we can go back to the first century church. And in the first century church, you had people who were illiterate. They couldn't read. 
They did not possess the Bible. They might have had one letter or two at most in their congregation, but they were maturing. They were growing. And how? Was it through Bible memory and, you know, Scripture study? Not exactly. Uh, We have to give some credit to the living presence of the resurrected Christ inside of them. So let me say this at the outset. He began this good work in you, and then he is going to carry it on to completion, and you're guaranteed to grow up. Now, it could be the fast track, the slow track, but eventually, whether it involves heaven or not, and it will involve heaven, uh, you're going to be fully grown up and mature. So, The pressure's off in that uh, we can trust God with our growth. I mean, Colossians chapter 2 talks about a growth that comes from God. Now, that doesn't mean that you sit around in a lazy boy chair and just go passive and say, well, gee, I hope I grow. Gee, I hope I learn. I mean, obviously, there's healthy choices. Uh, You could sit around as a human and physically never eat good food and then just hope that you grow. Well, when you eat good food, uh, your chances of growing go way up. (laughs) They skyrocket. Uh, Likewise, spiritually, there's some real value in things like getting encouragement, gathering together, reading the scriptures which show us the truth about who we are and who God is. So I think the answer is a yes and a yes. I mean, it's it's not something you can diagram. It's not something you can prescribe. I mean, God's not interested in everybody who has a type A personality taking over church and then legislating what all the rest of the Christians should do. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's kind of what happens in society today. The type A personalities take over church, organize it, get it going, and then legislate what everybody else should be doing. And then everybody else feels like a real zero. Uh, They feel like a slouch, and they feel like they're disappointing God because they're not signing up for enough stuff. They're not doing enough. They're not being enough. They're not proving their love for God enough. And all the type A's are just loving it because they're driven, and they're trying to succeed and excel, and they're feeling great about their spirituality. So we've got a system that, if we're not careful, is basically rewarding type A flesh, Uh, you know, grade A, USDA choice flesh, and uh, that is a self-improvement flesh, a religious flesh, a self-righteous flesh, and then everybody else just feels bad. Uh, But as far as genuine growth, see, the goal is not uh, a bunch of church attendance. The goal is not a bunch of you know, just doing a bunch of good stuff. I mean, the goal is knowing and expressing Jesus. And that may look a little bit different than the type A cranks out. The type A cranks out uh, perfect-looking obedience, adherence to rules and laws. The type A personality cranks out, you know, uh, this adamant attitude about doing X, Y, and Z, crossing every T, dotting every I, and making sure that the Christian world is busy, 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 dedicated, and committed. Whereas the fruit of the Spirit 
you look at it and you have to hit the pause button and say, okay, wait a minute, gentleness, <laughs> gentleness. Okay, who's talking about gentleness? Tell me about the last sermon you heard concerning gentleness. <laughs> uh, you know, patience, love, kindness. You know, everybody wants to be busy working for God, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is this very soft, uh, amazingly beautiful fruit that God is causing us to bear, and it's gentle, and it's kind, and it's good, and it's patient, and so there's this softness to what God is doing, and then there's this rigid hardness uh, to what the Pharisees were doing, and so we can see those two at work today. Uh, you know, people think that growing is just being busy, uh, you know, there was a recent church survey, I guess it's been a couple decades now, but the data wouldn't change. Uh, people were very busy in megachurch. Megachurch, this one, that one, the other one, they, you know, they surveyed dozens of megachurches all over the continent of North America. They found that people, I think it was in the 1990s uh, and early 2000s, people were really, really busy really dedicated, really committed, but pretty much miserable and didn't feel like they were growing spiritually. So that just shows you the difference between human-induced growth where we just try to get busy versus just um, recognizing that we abide in the, the vine and we are a branch and there's a growth that comes from God and it's going to, and I hope you hear this part, naturally inspire us to want to seek out truth in a healthy rhythm that we decide. And it's not pressure and it's not guilt and it's just eating good food and loving it. I just had a great meal right before today's broadcast. I went down the street, had a great meal. I could tell you about this restaurant. I could recommend it with great joy because the food is awesome. Well, you don't have to tell me I, I must do that. Uh, it's just that uh, it's going to come natural. If you go somewhere and you eat great food and you enjoy it, then you want to tell people about it. And that's what real, natural uh, Christianity is, the way that God designed it. Uh, it's not about being militant all the time. It's about eating good food and loving it. And you know, your body craves good food and your spirit craves good food, spiritually speaking. So just recognizing your spiritual appetite, uh, getting great food, and enjoying the natural rhythm of God's spirit inspiring you. And you get to live from want-tos. You're not living to please the church people. You're not living because you have to say yes all the time. You're not living to burn out. Uh, on some sort of uh, peer pressure, uh, you're living in the natural rhythms of what God's Spirit is doing inside of you. He's creating the desire. It wells up within you, and you're making healthy choices. Paul puts it this way. He says, I labor and I strive according to the power that is at work within me. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to trust you with my growth I know I'm not supposed to be a lump on the log, passive, and I know I'm not supposed to be a militant a legalist, so I'm, I'm willing for anything to happen, but I am trusting you 
to motivate and inspire me in a natural rhythm that comes from you and that I enjoy. And so it's not checking boxes. It's not, you know, worrying about some accountability group that's going to call me to the carpet. Uh, It is you and me, Lord, uh, in this beautiful life together. I'm united with you. So I think that's the best description I can give you of what it means to get your mind renewed over time. The Spirit's doing it, the Word of God is doing it, and the Spirit's doing it, and the Word of God is doing it. And yes, it's Scripture, but it's also God's counsel as He lives inside of you. And He's promised to do it. He's never going to fail you. He's going to grow you up. So I hope that helps, and uh, reach out to us again anytime. All right, let's go now to Frederick, Maryland, and we're going to talk with uh, Mark. Hey, Mark, what do you got for us today? Yeah, hi, Andrew. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Yeah, what do you do when you feel like you haven't lived up to God's expectations of you? Okay, okay. all right. Well, you you ask, where did I get those expectations? Uh, you know, your, your, your expectation might be programmed by some Bible Belt Christianity. Uh, your expectations of what you think God wants from you might be from a false prophecy that was uh, said over your life. Uh, your expectation that what you think God expects of you might be programmed by a legalistic background uh, your expectation of yourself and what you think God wants from you uh, could be programmed from some very, very unhealthy teaching uh, that you received in the past. Uh, your uh, idea of what God expects of you could come from a an unhealthy inflation of one spiritual gift. Uh, or one attribute of God's Spirit. Let me give you an example. Witnessing, for example. So I was uh, 19 years old, and I thought God was absolutely disgusted with me. I mean, I just thought he was sick of me. Uh, I was going door to door. I was in halfway houses, jails, prisons. I was preaching and uh, sharing Christ, you know, evangelistically on airliners in hotel ballrooms. I was interrupting a flight attendant training and speaking to dozens and dozens of flight attendants in a meeting in a hotel ballroom and preaching and trying to lead them to Christ so that I could feel better, so that I could sleep that night and say that God was not disgusted with me. I would go to a local restaurant in my hometown and stand up on the chair and preach to the whole restaurant and then try to lead people in a prayer of salvation, and then I'd run and hit the door and get in the car and take off before the cops showed up and before I could be arrested for disturbing the peace. That was my dedication at 17, 18, 19 years old, Mark. I was trying desperately not to disappoint God, and I was trying desperately to live up to His expectations. And what I learned through that, was it was a bottomless pit. It was endless. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. The enemy was happy to deceive me. There was always one more thing to do, always one more hoop to jump through, always one more impressive act that would certainly please God this time. Watch, God, I'm about to do it for you this time. 
And then there would be the, the one up, the next thing, and the next thing, and the next. And I lived like that for several years and then came to the realization that basically I was never going to make it and that I was always going to fall short of this expectation and I couldn't be bold enough and I couldn't be brave enough and I couldn't be dedicated enough. I couldn't be committed enough. I was never going to succeed because the enemy kept moving the target. The enemy kept saying, here's a carrot on a stick, and it's just around the corner. If you will just prove yourself one more time, then you will get rewarded, and you will be able to feel clean and close and right with God, and he will finally, finally smile upon you. And Mark, that's where you are. Uh, you're, you're maybe older than I am. I was 17, 18, 19 years old, but that's the kind of pattern that you have been uh, displaying and entertaining in your thought life the idea that some prophet spoke over you 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, and that you are supposed to be, I don't know if it's out on the street witnessing like I was, or you're supposed to be living like Paul and living like the early church and out there preaching and yelling on the street corner and you just won't seem to do it and you're just not becoming the evangelist that that prophet said you would be. So you're living under an expectation that is never going to be fulfilled. I'm just telling you, it's not of God and it's never going to be fulfilled and it's killing you. It is ruining your present. Your present is ruined because you have your eyes on something in the future where you're a better person. And so you cannot be content right here, right now. It's impossible to be content if you're constantly looking back at a prophecy and then looking forward at how someday you'll live like it. And so today is ruined. Your life is being ruined by believing a lie. And as long as you believe that you are falling short of the expectations of that prophet who told you whatever garbage it was, that prophecy has ruined your life. You, you are unhappy, you are miserable, and, you know, I think we probably talk about it, I don't know, 10, 15 times a year. We talk about what you're going through and not living up to this prophecy. It's been a couple years maybe. This is eating your lunch and it's ruining your life. So are you going to keep letting it? Are you going to keep believing a lie? The only thing that's disappointing about this is not you. You're not disappointing. What's disappointing is the fact that you're still choosing to believe this lie. Who is this guy? Some guy? I mean, some guy at some event told you something years ago, and now he gets to own you? I mean, if I come up with some prophecy right now for you, do I get to own the next 40 years of your life because I made something up? This is nonsense. It's garbage. It's not in the Word of God. There's not one single person in the New Testament who got prophesied over, then spent the rest of their life trying to make it happen, never made it happen, and were therefore unfulfilled and unhappy. This is a death trap. It is of Satan. You are listening to Satan. And Satan loves for you to be confused about your destiny and your calling and this prophecy and what you're supposed to be. I'll tell you what you're supposed to be. 
You're supposed to be Mark, a child of God, holy and dearly loved. So act like Mark, a child of God, forgiven, righteous, holy, and dearly loved. Or continue listening to Satan and let him ruin your life. The choice is yours. Are you going to live in that bondage another month, another year? Are you going to be calling a year from now, just as you have the last two, with the same problem of not living up to a false prophecy given to you by a false prophet? Are you going to continue submitting to lies, or are you going to give the truth of Jesus a chance? It's your choice. I can't choose for you, but I'm laying it out there. Don't spend another minute entertaining lies of a false prophet. Nobody tells you your future and then dangles it in front of you like something you can't attain. If they're doing that, it's Satan, not God. Thanks for your call, Mark. Reach out to us again. All right, we'll go to Maryland. This time we're going to talk with Solomon. Hey, Solomon. Hey, Solomon. Um, Mr. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. What do you got for us today? Uh, I have a question on Titan. Yes. Okay, uh, there was a time I was listening to you, and you said Titan was in uh, the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, I kind of, I really understand what you were saying. Okay. But did Jesus condemn tithing? Uh, no, he didn't condemn tithing, but he fulfilled the law, and tithing is part of the law. So, you know, just look at Matthew twenty three twenty three. Uh, Jesus uh, tells us in Matthew twenty three twenty three that tithing is a matter of the law. And remember what Jesus did with the law. He fulfilled the law. Uh, Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. So Christ is the end of the tithe for all those who believe. You're not under tithing any more than you're under thou shalt not wear polyester. So right now, talking to me, my guess is maybe you're wearing some tennis shoes. I don't know. Are they Nike? Are they Adidas? You're wearing some tennis shoes. Maybe you're wearing a sports shirt or a T-shirt or something, you got polyester on either today or someday, and you're disobeying the law. I can't believe you have that shirt on. <laughs> but seriously, uh, if we're wearing polyester, which I am today, uh, then we're disobeying the law, the same law that says, you know, you need to tithe for the priests of Israel to be supported. Uh, you know, if you eat pork, if you eat shellfish, then you're also disobeying the law. Uh, if you work on Saturday, you know, mowing your lawn or trimming your hedges, or maybe you send some Friday night emails, you're disobeying the law, the same law that says you need to support the Levites uh, with your tithing and bring the tithe into the storehouse. Malachi 3, please collect your grain. That's right, your grain, you know, whether it's wheat or barley. Malachi 3 is saying, please collect your grain and bring it in a wagon and put it in the storehouse so that the people of Israel can eat, and especially the tribe of Levi. They didn't get to uh, run the plow this season because they were busy serving as priests, and therefore we're asking you, Israel, to bring your grain and put it in the storehouse so that the Levites can eat this winter. So that's what Malachi 3 is about. It says, and I quote, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Uh, so 
Uh, I hope you can see that, uh, you know, Leviticus 27, verse 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. So if that's what we're under, then it's not uh, cash, really. I mean, a lot of this is uh, you need to bring your farley barley. <laughs> you need to bring your 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 wheat and your barley and your oats and put it in a storehouse because that's what tithing really was. Uh, Leviticus 27 continues, every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod. Uh, so we got a lot going on here with tithing that nobody seems to talk about. But then you get to the the New Testament, and it's pretty clear uh, in the New Testament you see this word tithe pop up about four times. Now, three of those times are in the Gospels, not in Paul's letters, not in the letters written by James or John or uh, Peter. No, the three out of four times, it's in the Gospels. And what is Jesus doing? He is chastising the Pharisees who are living under the law, and he is chastising them, calling them to the carpet for their hypocrisy. And he says, you tithe your dill and your cumin, and you tithe your spices, but you are neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So he's telling you right there, tithing is a light matter of the law. And then you've got weightier matters of the law, like righteousness and justice. And he says, you Pharisees are doing really good with your tithing, but you're not doing very good with your justice and uh, your mercy and your kindness. So, I mean, he's calling them to the carpet for their hypocrisy. And as he does, we're learning that tithing is a matter of the law. So what I'm saying is, you know, this isn't my idea. I mean, I know you called in to ask about my teaching on it. Well, you can toss me out the window if you want, but what I'm pretend, what I'm presenting is is plain facts. So the New Testament mentions tithing about four times. Three of them are in the Gospels directed at Pharisees uh, who are under the law, and you are not under the law. And then the fourth time has to do with Abraham uh, killing people. In the book of Hebrews, it's recorded that Abraham went to war, killed people, took their belongings, and then gave a tenth of his spoils of war. So this wasn't a habit of his. Uh, he did it one time. He did it one time. It wasn't his income. It wasn't monthly. It wasn't yearly. It was one time, and it was from spoils of war. So imagine, you know, Abraham's on a road, and he's got a wagon behind him, and it's got helmets in it and gold in it and jewelry in it. And it's maybe it's got uh, pitchforks and swords and stuff in it. It's a wagon full of loot. And so he sees a priest who is worthy of respect. And he gives 10% of his spoils of war uh, to Melchizedek. So nowhere in the passage does it say, therefore, children of God, therefore, you need to give 10% of your income weekly, monthly, yearly. No, it never says that anywhere in the New Testament. So let me be clear. There's no New Testament letter that instructs Christians to tithe. 
there's no New Testament letter that instructs believers to give a certain percentage. Instead, we see 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Give freely from the heart, not under pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. So that's the attitude that wins. That's the New Testament giving. That's grace giving. I get to give freely from the heart, no particular amount. I'm free. I'm living under grace. I'm excited about the gospel. So I give out of my abundance, it says. Give out of my excess. Give out of my abundance because I want to give, and I'm excited. Uh, But no, you're not going to find any New Testament verse that instructs Christians to tithe a, a certain percentage. Instead, it is grace-giving from the heart. And any time you hear a pastor, leader, teacher today who is mandating 10% as the benchmark or requirement, first of all, they are teaching the wrong covenant. They're teaching old covenant instead of new covenant. We are New Testament believers living under a new covenant. Second of all, they are teaching the wrong percentage, uh, because even under the Old Testament, when you start to do the math, you know, you do the mathematics, you add it all up, it comes out to about 23 and a third percent annually. So over a four-year period, the yearly average is 23 and a third. So they're teaching the wrong covenant, they're teaching the wrong percentage, and they're teaching the wrong motivation. You'll find a lot of times, you know, they're preaching Malachi 3. They're talking about being blessed and not being cursed. Basically, they're saying if you pay God enough money, he won't curse you, Malachi 3. Well, uh, you know, that needs to be put in context. Uh, God is not a mafia drug lord that you pay off to protect your neighborhood. Uh, He's talking about blessings and curses for the nation of Israel, before the cross, before the new covenant goes into effect. And so under the law, there were blessings and curses. But we live under grace, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot more we could talk about there, but the bottom line is we don't need to be teaching the wrong covenant, the wrong percentage, and the wrong motivation. Let's just say what Paul says, give freely from the heart, not under pressure. We don't give to receive. We don't give to get paid back. We don't give because there's a money-back guarantee like some churches are pushing, which is nonsense. We just give because we want to give and because we're excited. So, uh, Solomon, I'll put you back on and see. if Does that help clarify the issue of tithing there, my friend? Yeah, anyway, uh, thank you very much. But the whole thing is that you, uh, you, you monopolize the, the show because you, because you are the teacher. But uh, I don't think it is sinful to pay tithe. And besides that, if you say it is Old Testament, there are Old Testament promises that you quote. Why don't you say what is in, there are promises in, in the Bible, which are Old Testament Promises. Okay, we see we don't honor the law. So does it mean that we don't honor the law? We should not obey the Ten Commandment that says do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill. Do not honor the law? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I hear what you're saying. I mean, there's obviously God's character hasn't changed, but, uh, you know, where is it going to stop? I mean, you say I'm monopolizing the program or whatever. I don't. I didn't quite understand everything. But, yes, I'm happy to monopolize uh, the program with truth. I'm certainly not going to... 
you know, let uh, error monopolize the program. So I'm happy to monopolize and tell you that, uh, yeah, the Old Testament is filled with 613 commands. And I would just uh, put it to you, where are you going to draw the line? I mean, why why just do tithing? Um, why not uh, why not outlaw pork? I mean, that's a principle in the Old Testament. Why, why not outlaw shrimp? That's a principle. Uh, why not outlaw polyester? That's a principle. Uh, why not outlaw work on Saturdays? That's a principle. I mean, where are you going to draw the line? You got 613 of them. So who's God now? Who's God now? When we start picking and choosing from the 613, or we could just do what God says. You're dead to the law. You're not under the law. You're a New Testament believer. Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. If you're if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. You're under grace. That's what I'm saying. And I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to monopolize the airwaves for the next 30 years till I'm in a coffin and with the Lord. I'm going to monopolize this airtime telling people that they're free in Christ and that they're living under grace and that they're loved and liberated by Jesus to give freely from the heart. I'm a pastor. I mean, I could be teaching a mandated 10%, but instead I'm doing the really scary thing. I'm trusting the Lord. Hey, you know what? Congregation, you get to give whatever you want and you get to let Jesus motivate you. So it'd be really easy for me to take the majority opinion and just cram 10% down everybody's throat. By the way, that's failing. That teaching is failing. The average uh, Christian in North America gives about 3%. 50% of people give nothing, and the other 50% average about 3%. So that that teaching of 10% is an absolute failure anyway by any measure. But it's also just not biblical, and it's a slippery slope, Solomon. That's the problem, is as soon as you take in one law from the Old Testament, the question is, where do you stop? Uh, now, you know, you bring up murder, and that's, you know, it's a straw man argument. I mean, is anybody really pro-murder here? Is anybody pro-stealing? No. Ephesians chapter 4 says, stop stealing, get a job, work with your hands. Uh, clearly, you know, loving, loving your neighbor and loving God and uh, experiencing uh, this new life in Christ is not going to lead you to kill people. So uh, it's amazing to me when we say, uh, you know what, everybody, you're you're under grace. And then somebody says, are you are you saying are you are you are you pro murder? No, no, I'm I'm pro grace. Oh, you said grace. I thought you said murder. No, I said trust Jesus. Why Why would you think that's murder? Oh, well, yeah, I just thought you said murder. No, I said Jesus. <laughs> so uh, Jesus is never going to lead you to murder. Jesus is never going to lead you to steal. And when we hear this sort of thing, it reveals something. It reveals that we think Moses is keeping us from murder. We think Moses is keeping us from stealing. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what's happening in your life. The reason you don't well up with a desire to murder and steal all the time is because of Jesus, not Moses. So you're bearing fruit because of Jesus Christ, not because of Moses. You will do just fine without the law. And if you want to bring the law in, the question is, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Uh, 613 laws. Where are you going to draw the line? 
Somebody says, well, it's the Ten Commandments. Okay, the no work on Saturday. Oh, no, he fulfilled that one. It's the Nine Commandments then. Is that what you're telling me? Well, we got a tithe. Okay, so it's ten minus one plus one. So it's the ten minus the Sabbath plus tithing. Look, Ma, it's a new set of ten. And we start fashioning our own set of our favorite Ten Commandments to push in people's faces and the bottom line is we don't need Moses for upright living we've got Jesus he's never gonna lead you to murder he's never gonna lead you to lie and he's gonna inspire you to give from the heart so let's just trust him he really is enough all right let's go now to Ontario Canada we'll talk with Jim hey Jim hey mr. Farley how are you doing great what's on your mind today well, it's sort of a two-parter. Um, I, I, been, I got saved a few months ago, and uh, I'm not going to boast about everything I'm doing all this, and I appreciate uh, your show because it's actually taught me a lot in yeah. a lot of the things that I need to look at and do. Yeah. Um, I've been smoking for almost 50 years, and mm-hmm. I'm having a very, very hard time quitting. Now, it's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Number one, does that mean I don't have enough faith? Uh, because I can't quit, put it down and, and quit like that. And second of all, and what brought that, that question up was, is that I was listening to your show on Friday, and you were talking to a gentleman about being plugged into sin, uh, or you're dead to God, um, or you're pl- and you're plugged into sin, or you're dead to sin, and you're plugged into God. Mm-hmm. What I'm asking, does this mean I'm still plugged into sin because I'm struggling so much to put that down? Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Well, you've got enough faith. I mean, the scripture says to each man, God has apportioned a measure of faith. And let's not forget the big picture. Uh, You are complete. Uh, You're lacking nothing. You have everything you need for life and godliness. I mean, whether it's Peter or Paul, uh, they're both saying you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I don't want you to wake up and say, gosh, I'm operating from a deficit. I have no, uh, you know, no leadership, no, no, nothing leading me in the direction of victory because I'm unequipped and I don't have what I need. I mean, God is saying the opposite. He's saying you're, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing and you have everything you need for life and godliness. And to each Christian, God has given a measure of faith. So don't operate from that lie that there's a deficit. But what you're experiencing is physical. I mean, you have a physical addiction to nicotine and you have I think you said you've had that. You've been smoking anyway for decades, maybe 50 years. Decades and decades of smoking will build up a chemical dependency in the body. And when you became a Christian, you did not get a new body. Uh, so you still have the same body, but, uh, you know, there's a new new gym inside of there. It's the same physical shell, but there's a brand new creation inside. So you are experiencing that battle, and I would just encourage you, don't be legalistic about your recovery. Uh, You can uh, join a group. You know, I think about those, speaking of recovery, there's Celebrate Recovery groups where people gather and work through their struggles together. Uh, There are alternative, you know, there's ways and methods and patches and 
yeah, I don't know if there's drinks or, but there's patches and all kinds of uh, mechanisms to help you quit and wean off. And you're free. You're free to use any and all of those methods. I mean, that's not a legalistic thing. Uh, that's not a lack of faith thing. You've got a, a physical addiction, a craving. Uh, so, yes, helping helping you understand your identity in Christ, that's part of it. I'm glad you're connected with our ministry, but you still got tough choices ahead. You still have to say, no, I'm dead to that thought. No, God, I'm alive to you. I'm not going to let this control me. I'm not going to let this master me. And, you know, uh, it's not a lack of faith. It's just time and truth and help and encouragement and making some tough choices and your body is screaming out and you're saying no. Uh, So don't look at these other things as crutches that you're not allowed to use. Ask God for wisdom. Look at the tools available to you. Uh, There was a an industry that put this drug in your hand, this nicotine in your hand, And, you know, there are tools out there that will help you say goodbye to it. And God can work through those tools. So I would encourage you to find some local help face-to-face where like-minded believers are going through the similar battle. uh, And then use the tools that are available to you and time and truth. And you know what? Put yourself under grace. I mean, you know, this is a health issue. Uh, this is not some God's mad at you issue. Uh, there are preachers out there that are bashing others for, you know, the smoking and drinking problems. They, oh, you know, God hates this and God's mad at you and you're out of the will of God and you're out of fellow. And then they drive through the McDonald's drive through and, you know, they go through and they're overweight and they're uh, treating their bodies poorly, and they're, they've got high cholesterol. So if you end up dying of lung cancer and they end up dying of uh, heart failure, it's a health issue in both cases. So cut yourself some slack. You're under grace, and let God's grace teach you to say no to sin and to say yes to upright living. So put yourself on that plan, the grace plan, and uh, recognize the Spirit's counsel, and, uh, you know, the pressure's off, my friend. You are a delight to God. Even with cigarette in hand, you are a delight to God. That pastor out there who maybe gave you a hard time or whatever, or wherever you picked up this big fear or concern, I mean, you know, he's holding a double quarter pounder in his hand, and you're holding a cigarette in your hand, and they're both bad for you. So this is a health issue, uh, and treat it that way, and uh, cut yourself some slack, and do it for you. Uh, This is what you want. Uh, You want to be in good health. You want to live a long life. You want to be healthy. That's what this is about. This is not about God's smile or God's frown. Uh, This is about your health and taking care of your body. So I hope that gives you some new insight And uh, we love you. Glad to hear from you today. Reach out to us again anytime. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. We're going to go to Delaware and talk with Ted for just a minute. Hey, Ted. Hey, how are you? Good. We got just a minute. So what's on your mind today? Yeah, really quick. Um, Mark 9, 24. um, It basically says that I believe and it says help my unbelief. So I'm a little confused by that. 
Yes. Okay. Well, I think maybe a lot of people are. It's like the who's on first routine, you know. I mean, we got Mark nine twenty four, and uh, here you see um, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Uh, you know, I think it's just an admission of where he's at. Uh, it's just an admission that uh, he he doesn't feel like he has perfect trust of Jesus. Uh, and so he's just bearing his soul. I mean, you got Jesus right in front of you. This is a face-to-face interaction. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think God loves it. God loves it because this guy is being real. Uh, he's saying... I believe you, and I want to believe you, and I want to fully believe you. So I'm asking you to strengthen my faith and strengthen my understanding of your goodness so that I can trust you even more. Uh, So I I wouldn't turn it into a theology uh, for you or me today, except just this beautiful idea of transparency, uh, transparency with the Lord and with trusted friends. But at the end of the day, remember Uh, You already have the faith that you need. We spoke of this moments ago, but you're not sitting there unequipped. You're not sitting there at a deficit. Uh, You have been apportioned a measure of faith. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Even faith the size of a mustard seed could move mountains, and God has given you exactly what you need. Uh, So you're already equipped, you're fully equipped, you're ready, you're qualified, you're clean, you're close, and now you're growing. And, you know, that's a messy process. It's all over the place, up and down and all around. But who cares? Because you're righteous the whole time. You're forgiven the whole time. So enjoy the journey. Well, you've been listening to The Grace Message. I'm Andrew Farley. Dive a little deeper at our website at andrewfarley.org. Again, that's andrewfarley.org. And remember, when you give your gift this month, we're giving away to each and every donor our new resource, Exposed. For more information on the broadcast ministry of Dr. Andrew Farley, please visit andrewfarley.org. That's andrewfarley.org. Join us next time as we invite you to celebrate the grace message with Dr. Andrew Farley. This program is sponsored by your generous financial support.